This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. The Torah is often referred to as a legalistic burden. The truth is that it is a legal document that defines our freedom. Steve Siefkin presents the first in a four-episode series that examines the Torah as a national constitution with legal rights, responsibilities, consequences, and means of escape. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live! Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Oh man, tonight is great. Tonight we are going to talk about the law. Yes, the big bad burden that was nailed to the cross. Well, if you're watching this program, I certainly hope you know better than that. The Torah was never nailed to the cross and it is actually our means of freedom in Yeshua, which our guest tonight will explain. His name is Steve Siefkin and he joins us for the next four weeks for an enlightening series called God's Law and the new covenant. And part of that law is where we get God's way of uh, reckoning time, which is called the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you have it on the screen. We are on the third Shabbat of the eighth month. And my co-host tonight to talk more about this kind of thing is our CEO, Ted Clayton. Well, hi, Scott. How are you? And by the way, everybody, welcome to Shabbat Night Live tonight. Yes, and so Steve Seekin joins us. Uh, last week, we talked about the love gift that he did for us. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's called the Ten Commandments in America. So basically, he looks at the, really interesting what he does here. He looks at the Torah. Yes, it is a means for us to, to uh, work out our faith. Yeah. But if you just sort of strip all that away and just look at it in means of, is this a legal document or isn't? And it is a legal document. Yeah. It reads like a law book. And it's basically, look, if you speed, this is going to happen. If you, if you behave yourself... You're going to have these freedoms. It's the same thing. It's a legal document. Right. And I know that you and I both came from like, uh, you know, regular church backgrounds. Sure. And so you, tell me, what, what came, how was the Torah or the law portrayed in, in the churches that you've gone to? Well, you know, I grew up Baptist, okay? And, um, well, I can tell you, Scott, the law really wasn't portrayed, yeah. or if it was portrayed, it was portrayed in such a fashion that, oh, well, you know, Jesus died on the cross, so you wouldn't have to deal with that pesky law. Right. And <laughs> we all know that that is not the case, because if it were the case, well, then what about the Ten Commandments? Right. Well, right. Okay, so yeah. if, if the law is just poof and done away with, well, uh, okay, so it's okay to kill? Yeah. 
I don't think of that, right? Who right. thinks of that? And so in, I went to a Baptist church for a long time too, and then went to a Mennonite high school. A Mennonite in Canada is more like I call Baptist on steroids. Don't it's, it's, you know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not really like you know, kind of Amish like what sure. we see down here. But sure. but uh, basically, yeah, we were told that yes, you know, it's that that's some good foundation, but we're so much above that foundation. Yeah. We, we that's why you know when you got baptized, you got the the, the gospels handed right. to you. It just a thin little book. It didn't include the Torah. It didn't include the even the Psalms or the Proverbs. Well, maybe, right. and they included that with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but that's all you got. Well, you know, as Michael Rood always says, you know, the Torah is the foundation where everything comes oh, from. Oh, yeah. You know, so if you do, so think of this. If you have a house and you do away with the foundation, what do you have Right. You have a pile of bricks and sticks. Here's your tin roof. Enjoy. You're, yeah, enjoy. Uh, don't let that wind blow because it's gone. Well, it's the same thing with the Torah. The Torah is the foundation of our teachings. The Torah is the foundation of everything. And Michael explained that the best of anyone through all of his Torah series, his 101, 201, 301. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's some of the best teachings that you could possibly have. Yep. And those foundations are important then, and the foundations are probably even more important today. You know, that's why we love having Steve Seifkin start with us because he was just brought to us by uh, a partner of the ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 a fellow in California. Yeah. He said, uh, hey, this guy comes to our teachings sometimes or into our Torah gatherings. Yeah. And he's a great teacher. You should have him. I never heard of Steve before. We looked at his stuff and it's like, wow. You know, he just watched great. Michael's stuff for years mm-hmm. and said, hey, I can build on this because I've got a different perspective of the Torah. Sure. It's like a law book. And I thought, oh, wow. that's terrific. Wow. So we had him up here and uh, this, this was the first time he'd been on a show like this. Mm-hmm. So he was, he's a little nervous, but yeah. he's, he'll be all right. So, but yeah, it's a great thing uh, for to have Steve with us. Uh, now, another great thing is this love gift we've got this month. You are going to love this. We had several years ago, we did this love gift, but if you missed out, you missed out. And of course, it's like, wow, wish I could have done that, but I didn't. Well, it's back. We're doing the wine fountain. Oh. Yeah, so we got pieces of it over here. It's so big that I didn't want to put it between us because we wouldn't be able to see each other. This thing here, it's like... So there's several components to it. This thing is over... (laughs) I remember when David and I were trying to figure out how how much... uh, how big it was to ship it. It's over four pounds. This wow. Thing, this is big. This is incredible. It is. And it's, it's feel this thing. So these are Ooh. these are silver plated pieces mm-hmm. uh, of this wine fountain. What you do is you fill this big cup with, with wine. This is for like Shabbat, right? When, sure. you're, sharing, Absolutely. when you're having a Sabbath Absolutely. gathering. You pour it through the top and it literally comes down like a fountain into these eight of these smaller cups. And so that's how you uh, you could do your, your Shabbat gathering. And it's almost like when Yeshua was at the uh, the Last Supper, how he gave the cup to all of his disciples. Well, this is just a different way of distributing that same cup. This, wouldn't this be great for the Kiddush? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, oh, I mean, this... Every Shabbat night live, every, you could do this at Kiddush. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to miss, number one, the special teaching that's happening this month, but also these wonderful love gifts that you can take, and they're basically conversation starters. Remember that. You know, uh, Michael wants us to have the capability of talking to people about our faith. And what better way when they ask, wow, what is this? What is this wine fountain thing? You can start a full conversation about the Almighty right then and there. So it's just fantastic. Now, Ted, you and I are up here only because of our supporters. And so we always want to thank our supporters for for doing that. And we're coming up on a time of the year here. I know we don't have much time left, about a minute and a half. But, uh, you know, we always like to... 
you know, plan ahead. Sure. And we can't do that if we don't know where our finances are at. Absolutely. You know, ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me say this. We have done so much in 2022. But you know, at the end of the year, we start planning for 2023. Michael always wants us to, to have the cutting edge of broadcast television out there for everyone to be able to see these, these uh, wonderful teachings. And ladies and gentlemen, now is the time. Now is the time that we plan for 2023. We plan on what television shows that uh, that we can use, uh, that we can put out on TV. We plan on what new initiatives, you know, some new initiatives like new social media platforms that we've been on and new videos to, to do for our michaelrude.tv app. And ladies and gentlemen, it's only you that allow us to do this. It's you and your sacrificial giving to A Root Awakening International that allows this gospel and Michael's teachings to go all over the world. And we thank you. We thank you for that now more than ever. But if you would, would you please prayerfully consider as we, as we finish up 2022, would you please prayerfully consider to go just one little step above in your sacrificial giving so that we can make plans on doing what TV networks we're talking about doing. We were talking about going back and doing some television work again. And it helps us to be able to plan 2023. So without you, none of this happens. And from Michael and the entire Rude Crew family, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your giving. And we appreciate you so very, very much. All right. Thank you, Ted. All right. Steve Seifkin is up next. The first of four episodes, a four episode series that examines the Torah as a national constitution with legal rights, responsibilities, consequences, and even means of escape. But first, get your bread and wine ready for the Kiddush with Michael coming up next. Idols are not the only type of gods. In fact, when the Bible refers to the gods of this world, it's referring to people at the head of every nation, the government. But what happens when these little gods do not submit to the big God, Yehovah? Every nation is supposed to follow Israel's example, learn from their good and learn from their bad. And that's what mm. we should be doing right now. And right now we're going away from what God set up, and you know how that ends up. It's yeah. not, not a good thing. In a fascinating and eye-opening presentation, Steve Seifkin reveals how the principles of the Torah are not just a matter of faith, but a matter of national law and order, specifically in the United States. The Ten Commandments in America is a special teaching from Michael Rood, our gift to thank you for supporting A Rood Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in November, we'll send you The Ten Commandments in America with Steve Seifkin on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you two gifts, The Ten Commandments in America, plus a Western wall decoration made of soil from the Holy Land, depicting Psalm 137 verse 5 in Hebrew. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts, The Ten Commandments in America, The Western wall decoration, and a silver-plated Shabbat wine fountain with eight Kiddush cups and an elegant grapevine pattern. These gifts are a limited-time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. 
Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rude Awakening International in November. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. Some of the traditions in modern-day Judaism are what Yeshua said are takanot, laws which change biblical law, which are forbidden, and Yeshua said don't do them. But other traditions are remembrances of good things in the past, and they are a shadow picture of good things to happen in the future. On the Sabbath, we take two hollow loaves, two loaves of bread. This represents the manna, the double portion that we received on the sixth day. This was God's provision for us. And this is what it continues to mean to us today. When Yeshua, just before his crucifixion, the night before his crucifixion, at the last supper that he had with his disciples, he took bread and he blessed, not the bread, he blessed the Most High. And he said, Baruch Atah, Yehovah, Elohim Melech HaOlam, Hamotzi Lechem, Min Haaretz. And he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember this, by his stripes, we were healed. And then he took the cup and he said, in the prayer of Melchizedek to Abraham, Baruch atah Yahweh, Elohim melech ha'alam, Borei Puri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yahweh, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said this, what you have been doing for a thousand years from the time of Abraham, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. This is how I will pay for the broken covenant. I will pay the death penalty and do this until I come. When people first come out of church and they're wondering what else is there, they encounter the Torah, or as it's first called them, the law. And sometimes they back away from that, saying, well, I, I don't want to get into the law. That sounds very legalistic. I'm trying to get out of my church's legalism and get into some more freedom. So is the Torah law when it comes to our religion, or is it literally a law? Is it God's law? Do we need to pay more attention to that, where it's a, a law for a nation instead of a religious system? Well, someone who can help enlighten us for us is Steve Siefkin. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, did I pronounce that correct? Siefkin? Yes, Siefkin. And you guys, uh, you and your family are both here. Your family's uh, out behind the cameras here, and uh, you are from California? Yes, uh, we're from Riverside uh, County, California. Yes. Riverside County, California. Okay, great. And you were uh, referred to us by a good friend of, of the ministry, uh, David Larson? Yes, David Larson. He uh, is part of our New Moon Fellowship. Okay. My wife and I started this five, six years ago. And sometimes the list is over 100 people. And uh, we gather at homes just to kind of mark God's calendar and get a better understanding of how that works. Because awesome. it's helped us understand the scriptures so much, the more we do it, the more we understand, so well, that's kind of the whole point. That's beautiful, and David wanted you to have you here because uh, you, 
he really uh, appreciates your teachings. And uh, you are a teacher by trade, is that right? Yes, I am. Okay. You teach high school? or I'm a middle school PE teacher. Oh, okay. Awesome. All right. Well, I once I've uh, received a passing, just a passing grade in uh, in physical education uh, because I didn't try that hard. And the next semester I got a B because I was so mad up with the. the oh, good, good, grade. good. Now I feel more comfortable now that, that you told me that I was going to have to leave. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. It usually happens when. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so you have a really interesting perspective that helps walk people through the law. You know, we we call it the Torah in you know in on Shabbat Night Live, and, uh, but a lot of people shy away from it uh, because we call it the law and they don't like legalism, but you see the law maybe not so much as a religious system, but as a way to govern a country. That's exactly the way God you know, handed it down to Moses. It was a legal system for the nation of Israel. And um, you know, when I came to looking at the Torah, you know, I read the word law and that's exactly what I did. So I went to legal dictionaries and found definitions. In fact, mm. it's uh, one of my favorite points to bring up is the legal definition of law matches so much better than um, sometimes what we define Torah as in even mm. Hebrew or uh, uh, English dictionaries. But um, I've got a slide I'm trying to find. <laughs> okay. Um, if you look at um, some of the English definitions of uh, just what law means, for yes. example, Bovier's Law Dictionary says law is a solemn expression of the legislative will. Okay. And then you go to Black's Law Dictionary, it says law is a solemn expression of legislation of the legislative will. And then you think, well, who's the legislator of the Torah? Yehovah, Yahweh, yeah. however you pronounce that. Mm -hmm. In other words, Torah is the solemn expression of God's will. Hmm. I can't think of a better definition. It's exactly what God intended for this you know, universe, this yeah. planet, his people. It's how he wanted us to, to, to live our lives. And um, you know, sometimes we think of the word law and it's got a negative connotation because sometimes it's oppressive. You look at some nations, even in America sometimes, it's right. oppressive and holds us down and holds you back. You got all this red tape to get through and we don't like the word. But when you get down to the basic definition of what that word is, it's the solemn expression of God's will. And I, I prefer that definition of Torah. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we say it's just instructions. I think that's a little oversimplified. You know, when I get my instructions for building anything, I usually <laughs> throw them away, start building. It's, <laughs> yeah. But law has penalties and consequences. Instructions do not. And, you know, law is really just, in my opinion, a better definition. And I've more embraced that. Hmm. Now we're going to get into how the U.S. Constitution even, uh, and we're going to do several episodes here, how that ties into the Torah and how actually it was, it was founded on the Torah. And that might be surprising to some, but I, first of all, uh, you have a, a mosaic law overview that you wanted to sort of bring out to us. So uh, where do we start in understanding God's law? Well, when I started, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I started looking at, the, at God's law and I just thought, well, how do you organize this? Where do you begin? Mm -hmm. And uh, it became very clear to me as I'm studying it, you know, it's either all or none. Okay. It's not a, well, I can pick this one or I can pick that one. It's, it's every commandment or none. In fact, there's a verse in James that says, you know, if you fail in one point, you're guilty of all. That's kind of saying that to us. And sometimes we dismiss parts of it. So I, I went through and uh, tried to organize it. And uh, I came up with this little chart. 
it's what I just call a Mosaic Law overview. And um, as I went through all the commandments, uh, there's 756 commandments, statutes, and judgments. Okay, and well, I, hang on a second. Right there. So the tradition is, uh, you know, there's 613. But I think we all understand that that's just a traditional interpretation of how many there are, right? Yes. The, the Bible does not have a number. It okay. doesn't tell you this is the number of commandments. Uh, as I counted them, the first thing, I was well over 800. Mm. And then you start taking three and four and combining them into one, and the number dropped down to low 700s. And as I've been studying it, I started this in 2008. As I've been studying it, it's kind of settled on the 750s. And what I came to the conclusion of, and it's been here for a while now, and I'm sure it'll change, but it's been here for a while. There's 756 commandments, statutes, and judgments, and they're codified into 87 titles of law. Now, those are what I found. The Bible doesn't say 87 titles of law. I could probably make it 50 like the United <laughs> States Code, or you can go up to 100 if you wanted to, but uh, they all fit under the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments fit under the two greatest commandments, just like the Messiah said. Mm. He said, uh, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Mm. So I decided, let's just organize it that way. And it's given me a really neat perspective to see all the statutes under the commandments. Because now when you see all the statutes under the, under the commandments, it gives you a better understanding of what that commandment's really about. Mm. So let's, let's define that a little bit. So what's the difference between a, a commandment and a statute then? Well, a commandment would be like a, a, a head law. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, after that, there's a lot of statutes that the, the Bible goes through, and uh, you can fit them right under the first commandment. Okay. Then throughout Israel's history, the judges, they made judgments, just like our nation does. And uh, they'll construe the law, and now that becomes law. So it's commandments, statutes, and judgments. And then... After that are doctrines of law. In fact, that's, that's how I started learning how to study the Bible. The most important thing are the commandments. We have to understand those before you can understand the statutes. And then the judgments construe the commandments and statutes, and they all have to work together. Mm. From the commandments, statutes, and judgments come doctrines of law. And, and when we, often in the church, we study the New Testament, which is nothing but doctrines before we understand the commandments in the Old Testament. Mm. And we have that backwards. The apostles didn't do that. They used the old to teach the new. Everything they taught in the new came from the old. So the doctrines are almost like the leaves on a tree, whereas if we took that leaf and looked at it, went, well, this is how the leaf was created, and da 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 without looking at, well, it came from a branch, and that branch came from a trunk, and the trunk goes to the roots, without understanding the whole structure, right? Yes, you have to go back and understand God's Torah, God's law, before you can even try to address the mm. new covenant, the New Testament. And what that's done in my mind, it, since I've gone through all the commandments, um, it's just flipped my thinking. And now as I read the New Testament, I see God's law everywhere. Hmm. It's all over the New Testament and we just don't recognize it. And oh, wow. okay. uh, you know, for 15, 16 years as a believer, I'm sitting here thinking, well, wow, what do I do next? I, I believe, now what? What am I supposed to do? And I really wish someone told me, hey, Go, go to God's commandments and study them and learn how to do them. And mm. 
try to figure out how to be obedient to your heavenly father. Now that I know that, man, things start moving as a believer. You start to, wow, I'm seeing a change in my life. This is making a difference. Yeah, it's like how to be a believer, right? (laughs) Yes, and before I felt like I was wandering, trying to figure it out without knowing where I'm going. Now I know where I'm going. It's this process, you know, the, the theological term is called sanctification. You know, once you believe you're justified, sin forgiven, now what do you do? Well, now you learn how to walk in God in obedience to our Heavenly Father and God's mm. commandments. Wow. And th- that's the life of a believer. And it took me 16 years to figure that out. And I, it's, it, it's kind of disappointing in my walk. And I'm hoping that uh, uh, sharing this might help others recognize this and start moving forward in their walk as well. Well, please do. I know you have a whole presentation yes, on I this. Do. And uh, I don't know whether we're going to even get through all of <laughs> Probably it. Probably not. So <laughs> if, we, if we don't, where can people go to uh, find the rest of it? Uh, probably the easiest way, I have a website called answerathematter.org. Okay. Uh, it comes from Proverbs 18.13. It's kind of a play on words. I really like it. Uh, Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame unto him. Mm. And uh, it, it kind of means uh, be open-minded. Consider everything is what the verse is saying. Now, answereth a matter sounds like I got all the answers. But it's really not that. It's trying to say, hey, we need to be open-minded and consider these things and try to see it through God's eyes and how he, okay. uh, that, that's really what the spirit of the law is. That's what this presentation's about. Uh, we don't have time to go through all the slides, no. but the spirit of the law has a legal definition. And, and you know, in, in Christianity, we kind of define it what I would consider incorrectly. And um, um, that's something that I'd love to share with you because I think yeah, it answers the interpretation. Uh, in secular law, we have a term called spirit of the law. In fact, there's letter of the law and spirit of the law. And Paul mm. used that term probably three, four different times in the Bible. And it's an interpretive term. And, and we kind of need to do the same thing. Uh, USlegal.com said, spirit of the law refers to ideas that the creators of a particular law wanted to have effect. It is the intent and purpose of the lawmaker. Finding the spirit of the law is trying to find the intent of who wrote that law. Mm. I mean, we construe law today that way, right? And when we're going to construe the Constitution, we try to interpret the Constitution based on our founding father's intent. Not the way I intend it, but the way our founding fathers intended it. And when we're trying to understand biblical law, we need to understand it the way God intended it, through his eyes. And so we got to get the context. We got to make sure everything's you know, on point and exactly the way he intended it. Right. Whoever and, wrote it makes the, the, the rules, Yes, right? and yeah. what I was always taught for, for 16 years was to spiritualize the law. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, Jesus fulfilled it for me, therefore I don't need to keep it. That's kind of spiritualizing the law, not really trying to find out what God intended. Or, you know, um, oh, I just had an example and then I forgot it. Um, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember it now. My wife would remember it for me, but I can't <laughs> remember it. But we spiritualize things instead of understanding, you know, God's law through his eyes. Right. Yep. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So define for us the, the, the biblical interpretation of the law here. Well, when we interpret the law, it's through the, the, the modality of spirit of the law. And you know the, the words for spirit are ruach and pneuma. And if you think of uh, those words, often we think of, you know, like a, a Trinitarian thinking of it's a person, 
It's, it, you know, the Holy Ghost is in the King James. And we think of this person that shows up and kind of takes over. And I don't think that's usually what it means. The spirit of the law, ruach and pneuma mean your breath, what you exhale. It's, uh, it's your intent. It's your purpose. It's your drive. It's who you are. We use terms like that today. We, we might say something like, uh, in the spirit of cooperation, you know, mm, or point. Yeah. in the spirit of full disclosure, I need to tell you, and, and th those are the way I think the Bible is really using it. But instead, we interpret it as, oh, it's this being that's taking over, which I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But sometimes that's what, you know, what the scripture means. And that's what spirit of the law means. It's mm -hmm. the intent of the lawmaker is the law. And if you trace that through the history of law, it's for thousands of years, goes all the way back to the Mosaic law, Hammurabi's code. Um, it's just how you interpret law, the spirit of the law, the intent of the lawmaker is the law. And that's what we're trying to, to look for. And I've, I've come to the conclusion, you gotta go commandments, statutes, judgments, and then doctrines of law. Mm. And we do that backwards. We go doctrines, judgments, statutes. We might get to the commandments and look at the Torah after we figured out the New Testament first. And right. then we look at the, the, the old covenant through the eyes of the new. And uh, we come to conclusions that I don't think we would have had we done it otherwise. Mm. So how do we then properly define righteous living? Is it through the spirit of the law or looking at the letter or where do we start here? I mean, well, it's both. Sometimes the letter of the law applies. You know, our Messiah gave us some great examples, right? He, David in the showbread. Okay, yes. Right? Mm -hmm. The law said, you can't eat the showbread, David. That's for the priest. But the priest gave him the showbread and our Messiah told us it's because he was famished. Because the intent of that law is not that someone starves. We do the same thing in law today. Mm. We have speed, you know, speed law. 65 miles an hour is pretty typical. If I'm doing 85 miles an hour, you know what? I'm breaking the letter of the law and I deserve a ticket. But if I've got someone injured or a pregnant lady <laughs> giving birth, you know, the, the law enforcement's gonna help me break the law to get to the hospital because mm. they know the intent of the law is to protect life, right. not harm life. It's not unlike with the uh, Egyptian midwives where, uh, Pharaoh made an unjust law. All Hebrew male babies must be killed, right? <laughs> and so and this was a, an example I tell people of a righteous lie where they went to Pharaoh, these midwives, and said, oh yeah, there was no, no baby boys born today, but yet they helped, they, they, they wanted to preserve life. And that was the, the spirit of, the, of, the, of God's law, not of Pharaoh's. And so in doing so, they they were righteous. Is that what we're talking yes, about? Yes, that's a, that's, a, that's a great example. In fact, you know, you can go to uh, uh, Rahab lying. Mm -hmm. I mean, right, yeah. Normally we'd say lying's bad, but not always. Sometimes lying's yeah. good if you're doing it to protect life and do what's right. Right. And uh, that's how we should interpret it. Unfortunately, when you spiritualize, you can make the Bible mean just about anything you want it to mean. Mm. You know, I can come to the conclusion, well, Jesus kept the law for me so I don't have to. And, and that's not the right conclusion. That's our whole purpose in life. That's what Solomon said. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. I guess that's where sometimes we have this rub of, uh, let, let's take, you mentioned the Constitution. So U.S. law sometimes doesn't line up with God's law. And so I guess that's, you know, in, especially in today's age, that's where we're gonna come up against some tough questions. Do I break the law of man to fulfill 
God's law, which I know is ultimately correct and what I'm really going to be judged on after this life is done, you know. Yes, and I have an answer that a lot of people might not like. Okay. Um, Jephthah made a vow he didn't like. He made an agreement. He had to keep it. Mm-hmm. And what we've done here in America, we've started with God's law. And then through uh, legislative acts, we've changed the law, and you and I agreed to it. Mm. Now we have to keep it, and we have to live by those consequences. Now, there might be ways out. In fact, I think that's what the Bible means by a way of escape. And God can provide that, and we should be looking for those opportunities. But, yeah, I think we, we need to... Now, obviously, you know, the law doesn't require you to do everything. Many times we can say, no, I'm not going to, and stand by, under the First Amendment. Right. And, you know, I, th- these are my religious convictions, and this is what I'm going to do. Right. And uh, so God's given us ways out, and we can use those ways out ways of escape, so to say, to, you know, and we might need to go to court to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the position we're in. And the bottom of the line is we chose this route. We did when we have a representative and they enact a law that we don't agree with. It kind of means we need to pick the right representatives. You know, here we are a nation just like Israel is. When they had a good king, things were great. When they had a bad king, things weren't so great. It's the same thing here in America. We do the same thing. We just call him a president. Mm-hmm. You know, when we have a good president, things are good. When we have a bad president, things aren't so good. You know, and that's, it brings up an interesting point. I had someone ask me on an email yesterday, as a believer, do you believe in voting? Because our system is flawed. So their, their position was, don't vote at all because it's all just a waste. But that's not it at all. We need to stand up for Yehovah has put us into this position in order to bring in righteous people to rule over the country to save it. Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. In fact, there was a time where I would say, no, voting's not part of the Torah. Mm. But I don't see it that way anymore. When, when God thundered his voice from the mountain, the people said, we don't want to speak to you anymore. Let Moses speak for you. Mm. That's the beginning of representative government. That's a constitutional republic. And from there, God set up a republic, just like we have in America. It's the same system of government. Jethro with Moses in Exodus 18. Moses, this is too much work for you. Pick able men who fear God, hate covetousness, make them rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and tens. Send them throughout Mm. the nation. Let them judge the people. He set up a judicial system. See, God's law doesn't change. You don't add to it or take away from it. A judicial system construes the law, and that's the only way you can change the law is how you construe it. And you've got a little bit of wiggle room, but not much. All right. Well, hang on to that thought. We're going to come back more. This is really interesting. I think this is getting people to think in a new type of way here. So if you're enjoying this as I am, we want to thank you for your support. That's how this happens. That's how we can bring Steve in here and tell us these things, get us to think new things. So thank you in advance for making this available to other folks into the future. You do that through your donations. We'll do that in just a couple of minutes here. We'll be right back. Hey, thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. Learning some really interesting stuff here. Now, Steve and I covered uh, a lot of what we're going to do in this whole series, but now we want to slow down, back up, and figure out where we begin when we think about law. You know, as Christians coming out of the church and we encounter this law thing, how should we think about it? How do we go through it? 
Okay, well, I, I start out most of my teachings with a slide that just goes through seven or eight different points that I think are critical to understanding God's law, just to change our thinking. Uh, I always thought God's law was a burden. That's I what we're taught, like, right? Yeah, that is what we're taught. We're taught that over and over again. And the truth is nowhere does the scripture yeah. say that. The law of God is good for us. It says in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 24 and 25, that, uh, and, the, and Yahweh commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear Yahweh our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. Yeah. It's for our good always. Yeah to preserve us alive. Not until Yeshua comes and then it's done. Yes, it definitely does not say that. In fact, that's uh, that comes from Galatians chapter three usually, which I've studied very thoroughly. It doesn't say that. In fact, if we look at it through kind of a, a legal mindset, like a lawyer would study it, you would never come to that conclusion. Mm. You would come to a completely different conclusion, which is actually on probably day two or three of you, our talk. You know, and, that, and that's interesting that you mentioned that, it, you know, as you look, if you look at it from a lawyer's perspective, maybe that's how we need, I never thought about that before. That's how we need to read the Bible. Instead of trying to, like you said, a spiritualize it, read it as a legal document, make like you are a lawyer trying to uphold the law, which is really the, the duty of, of all of us as, as believers, and go, for, go at it from that perspective. Absolutely. In fact, that's the concluding slide to this presentation. We're supposed to study the lawyer, uh, excuse me, study the law like a lawyer preparing for trial. Huh. So you're preparing for trial, you're going to gather evidence. Well, the Bible calls that a witness. And mm. that, that word witness doesn't just mean someone speaking at trial. When, when an animal died, they'd bring the carcass as a witness. So the word really means evidence. So you're building evidence for a trial. And if you, if you study how a lawyer would prepare, um, a judge is going to look at the evidence first and admit it or dismiss it. If it doesn't qualify as evidence, if it's not on point, that's kind of the most important thing. It needs to be on point. If, uh, if you're going to cite uh, a court case, and it's not about the topic you're talking about. Even if it says everything you wanted to say, it's going to be dismissed and you can't even use it. And I think we should do that in the scripture. Oftentimes we're citing things, reading between the lines to prove a point. Well, logic just tells us, you know, you're building on a, on a weak premise, then another weak premise, and another weak premise. That conclusion's probably going to be weak. <laughs> it's probably not going to be very strong. And you know, that's a really different definition of witness than what we're told in evangelical circles, right? To be a witness is you go out and witness as a verb. I'm going to witness to somebody, as in tell them about Jesus. It's how we live, it's how we interpret God's law as that is our witness, right? I mean, that you say you bring well, in a dead carcass, that's a witness. That witness, yes, it, it, it can't it, tell you anything. If, if you look it up in God's law in the Torah, it's clearly someone testifying in court. Every time, in fact, Brown Driver Briggs, all the Strong's Dictionary, every dictionary is going to say evidence in court. And that, that's pretty much what it was at the mouth of two or three witnesses. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're supposed to go to the elders of the gate of the city and they're going to construe a trial and make a decision at the mouth of two or three witnesses. Mm -hmm. And then we go to the New Testament and our Messiah quotes that and we wonder, oh, he's taking it out of context. Or he's talking about the same thing, going to trial. Mm -hmm. And I conclude that he's talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, there's lots of evidence of court cases and uh, legal proceedings in the New Testament. And we just gloss over it because we don't see it. Mm, Interesting. All right. Well, please, let's learn more. Um, The law of God defines our righteous living. The next verse that I I quoted earlier, Deuteronomy 6, 24 through 25, it says, and it shall be our righteousness. Mm -hmm. Now, it does not give us righteousness. That's only something the Messiah can do because we've failed. We've all broken one, at least one commandment. Uh, I'm sure most of us have broken several, but we failed. We need that grace. We need what, uh, the work on the cross that our Messiah gave us. But it defines what righteousness is. So after we've received that forgiveness, the question I always asked was, now what? Well, now I need to learn how to walk in righteousness. That's my sanctification. That's, that's my walk with, with, uh, with Jesus, with Yeshua, and learning how to be obedient to our Heavenly Father. Okay, so not unlike the example you gave earlier of speeding. So you went 80, 85 miles an hour in a 65, you go to court, you, you pay the penalty, and then the, what does the, what does the, uh, the judge say? Now, go and stop speeding. Speed no more, right? Stay under 85, I don't wanna see you in here again. So. Righteous living as a driver is to stay under the speed limit. You yes. don't break that law again. You yes. repent and you stay under the law. Yes, that's absolutely right? true. In fact, we're, we're getting into Galatians 3, which is a different presentation oh. I have. But well, let's you, save that for later. Okay, well, we can if you want, but I can do a brief <laughs> overview if you want. Sure, why not? Laws written as, uh, uh, they're, they're called penal laws, mm-hmm. penalties. And we often misunderstand what the penalties are in the Bible. In Galatians, it talks about the book of the law Mm -hmm. and then the curse of the law. Well, I was always taught the law's a curse. The law's not a curse. The law has a curse. And in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, it lists all the curses. Well, the word curse is the word for penalties. So, and even if you read in any legal dictionary, uh, Black's Law, Bovier's Law, I like the older ones, so those are the ones I usually use. They're going to say the same thing. There's two obligations. The first obligation is mandatory. The second obligation is conditional. It's a penalty. If you keep the first, the penalty is void. Not the first one. The first one's mandatory. You can never void the first one. You can never void the book of the law. But you can void the curse of the law. That's what our Messiah did. He got rid of the curse of the law. In fact, I think it's Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Doesn't say he redeemed us from the book of the law. He's removed the penalties and only the penalties. We would never go to trial. And uh, let's say I'm guilty of speeding and I owe $100. And you're coming in to say, hey, he's my buddy. I'm going to pay his fine for him. The judge would never say, Go your way, my child, and you can break this law anytime you want. It's been paid for. What he would do is dismiss me and say, the fine's taken care of. The penalty's taken care of, but you still need to keep the law. Mm. But we interpret the Bible differently than that. We interpret the Bible, well, Jesus fulfilled it, therefore I don't have to keep any of it. No, he fulfilled the penalties for us. Now the door's open for us to keep it. We've received forgiveness. We can keep it. And that's what the New Testament is really teaching. We can keep God's commandments right here, right now, today. And that's what we should be trying to do. Right, because we were given that that mercy, that that buddy who came in and paid it for us. Whew, saved me on that one. I'm not going to do that again. That's the attitude we need to have. Yeah. Mm. Uh, in, in Romans, I think it's 631 or 331, I can't recall. But Paul said, um, shall we then make void the law? Or I'm sorry, that's not it. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
God forbid. If you look at the definition of sin from John using the Bible, sin is the transgression of the law. Reword that verse. Shall you continue breaking God's law that grace may abound? God forbid is what that verse is saying. When we believe we should not continue breaking God's law, even though it says grace abounding, if you read that verse, we don't want grace abounding. Grace abounding means we're in sin. Mm. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, I don't want grace to abound. I want to start walking righteously. I need grace. I had to have it, but now I want to fix my life and start walking the way God commanded. Mm. And there's no more need for grace at that time. Now, if I mess up again, I'm going to need it. And it's always available to anyone who confesses their sin and repents. Mm. But we don't want to take advantage of that. And I think that's what Paul's addressing. And uh, in, in, in church today, or at least the way I always thought, I thought, wow, I get to take advantage of it. I can, wow, we can sin. I don't have to worry about it anymore. No, not the big ones, but all these little ones, it's not that big a deal. And that, that's just not the case. We need to move our lives towards keeping every commandment in the scripture. Mm. And like you said, the big ones, those are the commandments. And as we work our way down, well, all of those are tied to the big ones. Yes, they so are. That's yes, they why are. you break one, you break them all. Absolutely. Regardless, you know, if we use that tree and trunk and, and uh, root analogy, if you've damaged the leaf, you've damaged the root. I mean, it's like you, 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 you hurt the whole tree. Yes, and we're, we often, I remember thinking, well, that means it's an equal playing field. You know, the, the worst sinner versus me, it's not that big of a deal. And when, when we get to eternity, uh, we're all going to be on the same playing field. The truth is that's, that's not what the scripture says. In fact, the Messiah said in Matthew uh, uh, 5.17, you know, think not that I came to destroy the law. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He, he followed that by saying, whoever keeps the least or whoever teaches men to break the least or uh, breaks the least of these commandments, he will be least in the kingdom of heaven. Right, and teaches others to do so. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I quoted it wrong, but you, you get what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, I know where you going. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he, he's not teaching the law for salvation. He's putting it right where it belongs, sanctification. Hmm. After you believe, you're justified. It's an acquittal. Your sin's gone. It's wiped away. But now... We walk with God, not breaking even the least commandments, because mm. that's going to make a difference in our eternity. And we just gloss over what he said and totally miss that. He didn't dismiss the law. He's properly defining it for us. Right, and that's just it, the definitions. We need to treat the Bible, we need to understand, rather, the legal definitions in the Bible. We need to rethink of it. I like how you're doing this, because it's opening doors for me, too, where we understand the Bible differently just because we're defining the words differently, acquittal, sanctification, justification, all these type of things, they have meaning and those meanings are different and they mean different things. Yes, what, what I've learned, and, and it's just because I saw the word law and I thought law, so I went to legal dictionaries trying to understand them. It's amazing in these legal dictionaries how many religious Bible words are in there that we mm. wouldn't think. Mm. Covenant, covet, all these words we think are Bible words and not law words, but 200 years ago, people didn't think that. In fact, uh, Sir William Blackstone, he wrote a commentary on the laws of England. He said, this is divine law. Mm. The laws of England were divine law. They came only from the Holy Scriptures. That's the way lawyers thought 200 years ago, 300 years ago. Today, we just don't think that way anymore because we've kind of left God's law and we, we think more secular with it. 
And um, I'm trying to bring people back to that. And, you know, 200 years ago, we're, we had some pretty honorable people in America. And, and, and I'd like that. I'd like people who want to keep God's commandments mm-hmm. again and to know that. And believers especially, we need to start keeping God's commandments. Well, gosh, maybe that's not such a bad thing. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe if we actually lived by the law, we'd have far less crime and people would be living according to our law, which is uh, the law of God. Well, the intent, what, what the, the scripture says, so that all Israel will hear and fear. You would stone someone so all Israel would hear and fear. A couple centuries ago, you can find photos of people at a hanging, whole family watching, father with his son. This man stole a horse or whatever he did. Right, sure. You don't want to do that, son, because this is what happens. And, and it's true. Mm. Someone's going to get a pretty harsh penalty that we probably wouldn't do today. But everyone else is going to get straightened out quick mm-hmm. because they see, well, it's a harsh penalty and I don't want that. Well, that's and, why the Romans crucified. You yes. broke Roman law. We're going to put crucifixes along the busy road so everybody passing by understands you don't mess with the Romans. Yes, and it, it's just the way law works. And when there's that harsh penalty, it, it fixes things before it happens. When it's just, oh, let me get my checkbook out and I'll just write a quick little fine. To a lot of people, that means nothing. Mm-hmm. As long as they can afford it, yeah, I can speed. I can afford the ticket. I've actually known people that have done that. Yeah. And it, it's not a big deal. Well, if that penalty is the way the, the scripture puts it, people are going to think twice before they do mm-hmm. that. And um, Now, I know you have a lot more to cover here that we want to do in this first episode. We're going to have more episodes, but I know you want to end up at a certain spot here today. We have about five minutes left, so uh, I'm going to let you lead the way <laughs> here and tell us what you, you want to get through. Well, the whole point of this is understanding proper biblical interpretation. And um, I'll just go straight to the last slide and try, well, let me try the last two slides and see. Um, when you study the law through the spirit of the law, it leads you to what we call in America the canons of construction. It's a term that's just in law and it, it's how you construe legal documents. Um, this is what uh, West Encyclopedia of American Law says. It's the system of basic rules and maximums applied by a court to aid in its interpretation of a written document, such as a statute or contract. Okay, uh, United States versus Swift says, canon of construction refers to a rule used in construing legal documents. It is a means used commonly by the courts to determine legislative intent. That's the definition of spirit of the law. We do it in American law right now. It's called our canons of construction. Hmm. The problem in, with what we're doing is we're adding to God's law and changing God's law. And our courts are construing the new laws that we add to, and they're construing it correctly. The problem is we're adding to it. And God <laughs> said not to do that. See, in, in Christianity, in, in church today, we, we'll see a verse that says, do not add to or take away from. It's, it's his law. He didn't say don't add to or take away from the Bible. You know, we have all these translations. None of them match 100%. It's not missing a word here or there. It's don't add to or take away from my commandments. Don't change what they mean is the way I look at that. And the canons of construction in America is a way to construe the law so that we get to what the writer of that law meant. And that's the whole point, and that's what the spirit of the law means. It's not spiritualizing the law. It's what did that law mean? And that's what we want to do when we're trying to interpret the scriptures. So how do we interpret the Bible? Well, like I said earlier, it's like a lawyer preparing for trial. 
First, you're going to gather evidence. That evidence needs to be, well, I went over what a witness is. Mm-hmm. Um, witness, testimony, evidence. Here's some of the definitions right here that I'm looking at. It's a witness in trial. It's always in trial. Uh, it's a legal term used to represent testifying in court. In fact, the verse I have up here is Numbers 3530. Just the, the part of it says, no one shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses, but one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. We can't have one. You got to have at least two. That's always, the word testify tells you it, it's in trial when someone's mm. going to be found guilty, especially for a capital felony, it needs to be at least two witnesses. And that word witness is not just someone speaking forth, but any evidence. So we need to gather evidence. evidence can be a witness. Evidence can be a witness. Mm. And there's examples in the scriptures for that. Um, This evidence must meet evidentiary standards, even in America today. There's standards. Um, A lawyer or a judge would say it needs to be on point. That means directly applicable or dispositive of the matter under consideration. And I think we don't do that enough when we're studying the Bible. Oftentimes we'll look at a verse and it'll say what we want, but it's really not about that topic. Mm. Perfect example is uh, Peter's vision of the sheet. I always thought that meant I can eat whatever I want. Because God said, here's a sheet. Eat whatever you want on it. All of its unclean animals. But Peter told us what it meant right at the end of Acts chapter 10. And it means don't be racial discriminatory against other nations. Because that's what Peter was doing. I think in the book of Acts, Paul called him out and said, hey, you're not eating with the Gentiles. And he had a problem with it. And God dealt with, dealt with him with this sheet saying, look, you need to accept the Gentiles. It's okay. You know, because... God's not into, you know, racially discriminating against people. That verse would be thrown out of any court about eating clean or unclean meat. Mm. It would never even apply. Yet that's what we do. We see something that says something I like. I can eat whatever I want. And we, oh, that's, that's not the way you would construe that. You look at what the passage is about. And that's just one of the better examples of it. So legal definition is what we need to pay attention to, reading the Bible as a legal document. So yes, it's, it's a law book. It's, it's law written book. in legal code. Isaiah 28 says that, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, mm. line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's how the Bible is written. That's a description of legal code. Huh. It's precept upon, he wrote it, law, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept. But you can't go to this chapter to get this verse and think you're done. You got to go all over the Bible to get all the verses and bring them together. When you get all the verses that meet evidentiary standards and line them up, you get a story that you can't stray too far from what it really means. But when you take verses like, oh, we're going to study dietary laws and throw Acts chapter 10 in there, it's going to conflict with all the verses directly about dietary laws. We're going to talk more about this next week. I think we have a lot to talk about. And uh, and I know there's a lot more to this presentation than what we've presented here today. So if people want to sort of fill in the blanks before next week, where can they go? 
Well, I would recommend either my YouTube channel or my website. It's okay. probably easier to find videos and articles on my website. It's just easier to organize a, a website. But my YouTube channel is probably a little more popular. Uh, it would come up in a search better. But www.answerethamatter.org. It's okay. spelled with King James English, yeah. answerethamatter.org. Or you can Google the same thing for my YouTube channel, okay. and you'll get the same thing. Very good. Steve, thank you. We'll see you next week, and we'll see you next week as well. This is fascinating stuff. Reading the Bible as legal code. Not taking legalism and making it a religious thing. It is legal code from God. What a great way to think about the Bible. We're going to do more of this next week. Join us then. Until then, Shavuot Tov. <laughs>